He said, your redemptive influence comes out of the crisis, the hard, not mm. the easy. And mm. I feel that very strongly. Yeah, and so my last four years personally have been about the hardest I've had in my mm. own journey and as wow. a leader to transition the way we did during COVID yeah. and all the things uh, that people and people's yeah. perception of me. And I'm the at the most joyous place. My wife and I have gone to the deepest, hardest places mm. in our marriage and our marriage is at the best place. So I'm a firm believer the thing that we are most afraid of is usually what contains the gift. Hey, it's Paul Sponsia on the Made Right Here podcast. Again, thanks for joining us today. I've got episode two with Rick Dunn, senior pastor at Fellowship Church. And we're going to transition now into college, and uh, we have to hear about Rick meeting his wife and really the impact that Teresa has made on him as a leader um, and as a husband uh, and how they moved to Chicago and really just had this life mapped out for them until God had different plans for them and uh, and they came back to Knoxville and eventually leading fellowship uh, leading fellowship church through really some tough transitions to where it is today and uh, especially when you think about transitions in large churches and how difficult that is so have a listen to episode two with Rick Dunn I want to transition to college a little bit, yeah. but uh, something that I'm seeing, or maybe a theme that I'm seeing, a couple of things. One is, it's in, and this is something I look for because I think that I want people to think through, especially as they listen to folks who have come from maybe more adverse situations mm-hmm. or lack of resources, whatever you call it, is like, there are some really key themes like that you're talking about. One is your parents who are committed to staying together. I have a really simple act of reading to you. Yeah, it's like a really powerful, like yes. you've said it multiple, our, multiple yes. times. Um, Loved learning. And that was the third thing is there's this love of learning that somehow got brought into your life. Yeah. You know? A couple of things. My mom, even as a 15 year old, she's a sophomore in high school. She's signing her report card, Mrs. Ronald Dunn, if you can imagine that. But my mom played every instrument in the band except for French horn. And she was a majorette. My dad loves history and theology and he reads and he listens to books and with like he's voracious and knowing things and so yeah i got that very early on well there's something like i've i don't there's a saying or a statement that i've heard people make that i don't think is quite accurate like hey especially people they'll talk about folks who are in poverty or don't have resources just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and and i don't think that's true i think that's very nobody gets out by themselves right and so the point, like the theme I'm hearing as you talk is like parents who are committed and now they only had you. So I don't know what that looks like with people who have right. six kids or right. whatever. But so that was probably to some extent a benefit on their mm-hmm. part. But nonetheless, they poured into you. And then there were some key things that happened that were probably pretty critical in people. And that's the other thing I want to just point out is like there's a couple of times where it's been a poke at your heart. This person, that person, meaning like we matter, like the words we speak, like especially teachers and coaches of what you said, like the words we speak, the investments we make can completely change the trajectory of a young man or woman's life. Completely. And every story that I've ever heard has that in it. Like it's particularly... Especially teachers and coaches. Oh, yeah. That's why I love them. That's why. And when I wrote my novel, it's about teachers and coaches. I mean, that's because I believe that's, I've told people I wanted to be a high school or college basketball coach. Mm -hmm. 
That's what I wanted to do. I got demoted. I'm a lead pastor. I'm fine with that. I can handle that. I can accept that. I will be stewarded. But you know what I do when I'm a lead pastor? I'm going to do everything I can to put wind in your sails because yeah. you are delivering the goods. Well, and you are, you mentioned, and you went past them pretty quick, but you also mentioned some people who could have negatively changed the trajectory of your life, people that lacked integrity, teachers that spoke oh, yeah. bullying that happened, people. So I think there's something formative and foundational in those early years, obviously, that set you up to not be deterred by that. But I just keep, want to keep speaking that like we can either speak death or we can speak yeah. life into people. And there's some people that spoke life, life into you life. that changed the trajectory. Because my family systems that my parents came out of were a lot of death. And I'm going to give you, I got two things. One, also in high school, I went to this camp and then Clyde and Gwen Baker in their 20s became, they were in, deeply involved in Young Life here. They became the directors of the camp. Clyde ran the infrastructure and the business thing, and Gwen ran the programming. And they took a chance on me as a... You have him here 43, 45 years. As 45 years. I still meet with Clyde every month. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I have... So they, it's like a handoff. My parents, I, you see all they gave me. What they never got to experience was what does life look like after. Yeah. Like what looks like they didn't have the opportunity. They didn't have the world out there. Right. And so they weren't going to be able to give... What they did is they launched me into that environment. But my dad helped me look for the right people. Mm -hmm. My mom taught me compassion and learn. So, they, mm -hmm. so I was set up to find the right people. And Baker was the first time I'd seen a man in a leadership kind of role of any kind running the camp. Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's, I would like, like if I ever, I never thought about being a leader, period. But I thought if I ever in a position like that, I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. And and he wound up speaking at our wedding and, uh, and really a hero to me. And then Gwen was deeply involved in forming how I think about, because she was basically the coach for the counselors. And so when the campers are here, you're here for them. Mm -hmm. Now, when they're gone, you can take, but we are here. They get, they wait all year to come to this one week mm -hmm. and you need to be present with them. So I learned how to do that. So it's a great skill. So that's another piece mm -hmm. of people who built things into me. And I learned from Baker over these years, how to treat people. He had a construction business. He trained up another generation. And because I was poured into at such an early age, so many people, I was given, created, formed in me, and I steward a vision for always raising up the next generation. Mm -hmm. That's actually what I'm most passionate about mm -hmm. is creating. I call it create and vacate. I create environments, invite a younger generation in. I coach them through that, and I let that go. One other thing, and I, this is really for folks um, who may potentially hear a little bit of what I said wrong. It sounds like, too— one thing that your parents didn't have to fight with was any type of like substance abuse or like there's things that, or maybe they did. I don't really know. No, they, so that's what brother, there was enough things in their background that they were trying to get away from yeah. that. They didn't risk mess with, which substance. is a, a huge, well, like, that changed uh, the trajectory of everything. Yeah. Again, going back to folks who live or raised or grew up in extreme situations, poverty, whether it's inner city, rural, whatever it is, like that's a, that is a wild card that can dramatically change the trajectory of the way you're raised. Like, so going back to two parents who committed, even if it's just one parent who's committed to raising somebody and doing all those things. Right. But when you introduce some of the challenges, especially the challenges of substance abuse and those temptations, mm -hmm. I mean, your life could have been completely different. Yeah, addiction and abuse cycles. That's are perfect. Addiction and abuse. Extraordinarily hard to break. 
break. Yeah. And what my parents did was dam that up behind them. Now, yeah. again, I got secondhand smoke. Yeah. They didn't get out unscathed. Yeah. Neither did I. Yeah. It's just yeah. It, that the in an insular environment. And the fact that they're Irish is really it, oh, it's like, that's awesome. <laughs> but the, you get an insular environment and where addiction and abuse cycles are normative. Oh, man. It doesn't matter whether it's rural, urban or whatever. Yeah. That's the the beginning of the loss of the fullness of humanity. Very tough to break. Very tough to break. Yeah. And that's what they were doing. And now we'll. 100% attribute that to, this is me speaking again, my every listener can have a view of this. Yeah. I'll 100% attribute that to the work of Jesus and their family because we shouldn't have been able to do that. I'm in a process right now of writing and working in on this, I call it the war for hope. Mm. I think our lives are about a war for mm. where we put our hope. Mm. Is there hope? What yeah. is our hope? And my parents having hope in something beyond themselves mm. and more than they knew without even being able to tell you what all that meant. Mm. I learned to have a hope in something more. Now, yeah. I felt a lot of pressure to make it work because I didn't understand grace. Mm-hmm. But again, that was the redemptive recipe, right? Yeah. I want to transition to college, but one thing that I want to say before that, I heard, I know you know John Wood really well. And, yes. and I heard John say once a very similar thing about his parents. And the way he said it was, the reason my parents have made it is because they didn't, put their individual hope in each other. They put it in, in, yeah, in their world in Jesus, like yeah, in something yeah. bigger than them. And it sounds very similar to what yeah. you're talking about, whether they could message that right, right young or right. not, but there's yeah. something bigger, something bigger. That, well, I believe we were created for the biggest of stories. Yeah. I think it's why we love being in a, sitting with a hundred thousand people screaming because we're <laughs> part of something bigger. Yeah. I went to Normandy last year for the first time and it made me feel like something bigger. Mm. And, and so that's what our life reframe podcast is about. How do you stay in the bigger story? Cause things keep put, we keep, we, it's such a lesser story. If the mm-hmm. story is, well, Rick did this and Rick did this and then he achieves this and it all worked out and it's all good. And don't, isn't that impressive? It's such a lesser story yeah. than every day. Every bit of this is grace. It was these people. Mm-hmm. And if you drill far enough down, there's not any of this because Rick's really smart or impressive. It's because God wanted to make a statement about his redemptive work. Yeah. So That's it's just good. very free. Yeah. 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 Well, talk, tell me, so you're graduating from a private school. You've got all this background. Parents have obviously instilled in education in you. So you're obviously thinking about going to college. Yeah. Well, that would be the, like, I have a PhD, but my college ring is my favorite. Why, what was, what were you, was it like, was it a world of like, oh, I don't know. I want to go to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to visit 16 schools or were you pretty, was it pretty much like two or three options and this is it? Well, again, my mom and dad was, I don't know. Like, so I just, I'm, I don't lack for initiative. So I went through all the things. Had I understood the world and how it worked, really worked, I definitely would have tried to go to Princeton. I was Presbyterian in background. I knew enough mm-hmm. about Princeton and its history and everything. I've always been fascinated with it. Later in my life, I had an opportunity potentially to teach there. I was pursued and I was like, that would have been a dream come true. It just wasn't what I was, wasn't yeah. what, not what I, it was a gift from God that I wasn't mm-hmm. called to do it. I don't know yeah. if I'd even gotten the job, but the fact that someone talked yeah. to me, that was a thing. Do you think you could have got in coming out of high yeah, school? Really? With my ACT score, my SAT score and my rural yeah. background. That's pretty cool. However, yeah. my lack of social sophistication, I don't. I think I might not have gotten through the interview. Would have struggled, yeah. I think I'd have struggled. I think my life of Christ thing would have knocked me out. And I also <laughs> think it would not have been the 
best environment given my internal self. You I think were, I yeah. really would have bought into, I later had a chance to do executive education at Harvard which was super fun because there were some learning experiences and I got to see how I measured uh, from uh, executives all over the world. Yeah. And so, I again, that was a little kiss from God of like, hey, just so you know, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Well, as an achiever, I'm sure that was probably a big deal too. It's all a big deal. Yeah. And, okay, but even as I talk about it, I have a push-pull because a part of me is like, I'm glad to share these things because everything I just described was facilitated by someone else. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. it's not <clears throat> Princeton and things. It's the greatest guy. Somebody who was on the search committee knew me. Someone well, paid for my go to heart. Like, all these yeah. are facilitated by people well, who come along in my that's life. That's a very important thing, though, because I think, again, as we talk about having resources or not having resources, you know, one of the keys to it all is relationships. And oh, we talk about this a lot, as, especially with young men and women who maybe aren't in communities where they have relationships and resources. Like, every one of us that would tell a story. I mean, if there's not a story of somebody that spoke life or gave oh. an opportunity or said, hey, let me give you a job or it is, I, I don't know anybody. I think they're lying. I agree. And I would <laughs> add to that, if anybody's listening or watching, I'm going to challenge you. You have no idea how much capital you have. Oh my you gosh. look at your bank account or your status. Clyde Baker is not a known commodity. He's not a person who you know, it's on the cover of City Magazine or something. People, probably most people don't even know who he is. Mm -hmm. But his capital that he had in my life, unbelievable. Huge. I used to tell people, I'd say, I'd say to grandparents, say, hey, have you ever thought about coaching youth sports? Not at AAU level, just locally. Yeah. Well, I just don't know if I could do that. I said, okay, could you calculate for me? You had four kids. Can you calculate me the number of hours you spent in a gym, on a bleacher, yeah. in a park? I said, you have so much expertise, maybe not in a sport, but in how youth sports can be. Yeah. Just go volunteer. Yeah. So I'm a big believer yeah. in all these things. We have carried so much and we need to steward that. Maybe we'll get to this, maybe we don't. Because of my background and shame stuff, I don't always know how to steward my, when I, something goes well, part of my executive coaching process with me was my coach saying, you tend to diminish everything you do. So if I tell you something I did, I, it's there's this internal resistance. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't mm. talk about it. But I'm comfortable talking about it in the context of how many people made that possible. Yeah, a little of imposter syndrome maybe in there. Oh, it's always. <laughs> it's the kid from Appalachia always just taps me on the shoulder and says, are you sure yeah. that that's some, we've got, we, at least we're having conversations now. Yeah. So where'd you go to college in the end? Ryan College, Dayton, Tennessee. Smoky tribe. And gosh, would it? That wouldn't be the time frame. No, that was a long time. That was, was, that was, that was 25. Longer. I was there in 80, 79. I don't even know when it was. It's over. It was yeah. like. Well, okay. So let's. Um, okay. So here's the thing about Brian that uh, nothing else matters than this. Okay. Shoot. I went in the cafeteria. I my second day there. And there was this brown eyed girl, beautiful girl. She was wearing a kind of a brown jump pant suit thing. It's very trendy 70s. <laughs> and I looked at her and I thought, man, college, this is going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> and she looked a little bit like somebody I'd known. And I said, hey, do you have a little sister? And she said, no. And I said, well, you just look like somebody. Then her hunky boyfriend walked over. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> maybe this isn't going to go so well. She's been, my, she's been my wife for 39 years. And that's where the trajectory of my life really changed. Huh. I married a... Did you convince her to get rid of the guy? Or did she figure that just, on her own? 
he was smart. He was a business major. He was a better basketball player than me, and he was much better looking. He was, he was a catch, and he just overplayed his hand. He wanted. He was two years older than her, wanted to get married, and she wasn't ready to get married. And I'm like, what were you thinking? Wow. I just like – so he decided to – He if they weren't going to get married, he was going to move on. And I think she'd have married him if he just waited. But I'm like, okay. Good for you. So, well, yeah, good for me <laughs> until – I start moving towards her because what we did was I went to Brian for one simple reason. And Brian had a lot of good gifts and a lot of hard things. I'm not, I don't know what it is like right now, so I'm not making any statement. I had a really good education mm -hmm. and there was a lot of legalism, a lot of rigidity around me, which is the sure. antithesis of me and I, yeah. my personality. And, it, but I feel, I mean, I'm a home run for that. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a, I wanted being a leader, not trying to be, I'm a communicator and I'm smart. Mm -hmm. So on a small college campus, and that also comes with that, was a lot of projection of stuff. I'm like, eh. My wife even said right before we got engaged, she said, are you sure? I'm like, we knew we were getting towards it because we broke up multiple times. And this was like, we both said, if we start dating now, this is what's going to happen. But she said, are you sure you want to marry me? Because I don't really fit. And I'm like, that's exactly what I want to marry you because you're not. Where's Teresa from? She's uh, she's a corporate brat, so she's, I'll give her story again, her story, she's very hard beginning of life. Mom and her sister left to go live with her grandmother. Her mom remarries, and uh, he adopts her. He's a wonderful, and he was with Gulf Oil. So she's born in Belden, lives right outside Tupelo, lives in that area. They get married. Her mom marries, who becomes her adoptive father. They move to Memphis, Atlanta, Orlando. She comes to college, they moved to New Orleans, and then Gulf sold out to Standard Oil, Chevron. So he was like climbing the ladder. He was uh, one step away yeah. from Houston when uh, they sold it. So she went to three high schools in four years. Wow. So pretty diverse, like your background, her background. Well, really see, different. This is really funny. <laughs> this is really funny. So for me, I'm eating fancy. It was Cracker Barrel. It wasn't yeah, Applebee's. Right. It was Cracker Barrel. But I remember we... We were renting on a duplex in Chattanooga. I was a youth pastor. She finished her master's degree. And people in Knoxville will know my wife, many, much more than yeah, me. She's sure. restoration. Well she founded therapist. Restoration yeah. Counseling yep. Associates and I think is probably top 1% therapist in yeah. the nation. And I think that's borne out because I don't go talk to people. <laughs> they all tell me how wonderful she is. Yeah. And I her concur. Very, I mean, you're definitely very well known in that. Yes. Yeah. Sure. And I, one of my favorite things is just to be Teresa's husband because yeah. I'm really proud of that. That's awesome. But so we were living in this little duplex and we were moving to Chicago for me to go to seminary. And she said, well, uh, I'll call the moving trucks. I said, what do you mean? Like she said, I'll talk to the movers. I'm like, honey, we're getting a U-Haul. Because her whole life, the corporate moves, the yeah. corporate people come in, they buy your house, they pack your boxes, you yeah. go to a new place, stay in a hotel two weeks, you come in, all your stuff's sitting out. Yeah. Like, hey, I don't think that's actually what we're about to do. But she, under, her dad was so intentional, and he was a corporate exec. So he taught her a lot of things that I needed to know. I mean, a lot of things. Like early on, Pretty much our first week or two of dating, she said, okay, you're going to have to, like, we, you can't dress like this. <laughs> so we went shopping. I had my first pair of khakis. So I'm, I'm an anti-institution, anti, I don't do well if something tries to tell me I'm supposed to do this or I'm supposed to be like, it's my Scotch-Irish will, will up. I'm not stupid. If I know I'm going to be marginalized because the way I talk, I'll change it. But my intent is not to be familiar. Mm -hmm. So I had overshifted into, and I think too, Paul, I'll be honest with you. 
I think once I started to figure out who I was really scared of that, that felt like a threat to my family of origin. It felt like a threat to me. And it felt like, what are you supposed to do with? And that's why I learned to diminish myself. Mm -hmm. I'll just downplay all that and be the guy everybody loves. And that's a safe place. So Brian, we got involved and my wife didn't like me at first and her dad really didn't like me. And so there was a lot. He thought I was arrogant. He's probably right. But we wound up doing a campus ministry together, similar to Young Life. You didn't play basketball, Brian, did you? No, okay. I wanted to. Okay. I just, maybe if I'd have worked my behind off, yeah. I'd have set the bench, maybe. Yeah, but sure. Yeah, that was disappointing. But I think it also, had I put the time into that, probably was not a good use of my time because I wasn't really, my, yeah, what was I going to do? Maybe elevate myself to I got in a game my senior year yeah. versus, which is fine if you want to do that, versus being able to learn these other leadership mm -hmm. things. So we were doing campus ministry together. And I was quickly, uh, school came real quick for me, ridiculously quick. And I got a lot of things I can't do, but I can read and comprehend and learn and remember quickly. Were you thinking of being a pastor at this point? Was that like... I didn't want to be in a church. Were you, as you were going to college, were you thinking, I think I want to three go things into I, ministry? Yeah, three things I wanted to do. Okay. I wanted to be a high school basketball coach because okay. I didn't realize at that point, again, I just didn't know. I didn't know you could be a college coach and not play college basketball, but you can. Yeah. And that's what I would have done because that's the – when I started coaching AAU, my saying was if you're the best team, if you're the best player on the playground, find another playground. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I became the best team in something, I had to get better. I just – I have a drive mm -hmm. for that. And I probably destroyed my marriage if I'd been a college coach. Mm -hmm. So it's probably a good thing. It's a hard was, thing to do. It's yeah. a – I respect to those guys. And even Coach Barnes tells his own redemption story, yeah. and I really respect that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, man, I'm so proud of who you are. Yeah. So uh, sports journalist. Love to write. Love okay. to write. Yeah. Or some kind of a youth ministry thing, as okay. long as I don't have to work in a church. Okay. Because I just, the expectation, there's just so many things that I feel like have to be reframed about what a church really yeah. is. Okay. And I don't fit that. And so I'd given up on that. But I, the violent, but working at, it was Ray County High School, doing that ministry, it cost me money. I didn't make money. I was losing money. And I needed to buy an engagement ring. Mm. And so I, I tried to find a church. I was 20 years old, and I did want to do ministry of some sort. Yeah. I learned that at camp. And so I found a, a church that had gone through like 11 youth leaders in three years, and the kids were in total rebellion, and they were not having anything to do with it, and they were desperate. So they hired a 20-year-old. <laughs> and I came in. I never had one kid in Sunday school. And the other kids said, we're used to going out and drinking on Sunday night. We're not coming to your ministry. So that was the beginning of my this, this was in Brainerd Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, okay. So Teresa's wanting to be a, a therapist counselor, yes. right? She was and just learning that. She time. was on that. Trajectory. She was just making sense out of that. I married her knowing that she was going to have a career outside the home, would be a part of our journey. Yeah. And I married her knowing that, that I would not be calculating the future just on my career, that it was really our combined like, and i yeah. wanted that yeah. and i also really desired to do things with her and have her a part yeah, of it because cool. we're really i mean we met good being team. a team yeah and we're a really really good team what there's a couple things i'm thinking of as you talk about that one is it doesn't sound like you ever dreamed you'd be the lead pastor at a i mean i'd never it seen is a mega church it's a mega church. whatever you yeah. know pretty low bar honestly a thousand people <laughs> <laughs> at this it's, point, it's, but but it's a big church, it's right? A big Fellowship church. is yeah, a couple, three, four thousand people mm -hmm. probably. That wasn't you weren't like a twenty-two-year-old going, "Hey, I want to lead a really big church one day." No, no, like that was I've never seen. The, I didn't the know opposite. What, of I didn't what know. I didn't know what one was. Yeah. Okay. Again, with. <laughs> and second of all, I the only reason I would consider a church was I did need to be employed. Yeah. I lit on one summer. I ate bologna sandwiches. 
ran out of gas two or three times just trying to save enough money to get a ring for Teresa. For Teresa yeah. And Reagan was president somewhere in there, and he changed everything. So I went from a pretty close to a free ride based on our financial standing because we were yeah. lower middle class right. at that point. Yeah. And then uh, that was gone. I had to work. Yeah. I had to work to pay. I had to pay school. Yeah. So, hey, something that's really interesting you just said. Yeah, your parents went from extreme poverty to lower middle yeah. class. Yeah, and I would say literally in twenty years. Yeah, and I would say I think it might be better to say not. There were moments of extreme. They always had food. Yeah, and they always had shelter. So I don't want to put it in that. It's more of a what I would call a desert of opportunity and working in the lowest denominate like minimum wage yeah. just it's working it's the working poor Pretty cool story 15 16 year olds who well, are not making a whole lot of money haven't raising a kid to like yeah. just being lower middle i say just yeah. i don't want to no. i don't want to say that the wrong way but like yeah. that's fascinating it is fascinating and ultimately because both their work and my dad's consistency middle class yeah they, they, that's really cool. I, and i went to a private school. Private school. That's yeah, crazy. we didn't have some of the things that you associate with middle class, like a lot of vacations yeah, and a lot sure. of those kinds of things. But I went to a private school, yeah. and they paid for that. And it was very hard season for them financially when I'm in school and college, and so I could burn off that too. Yeah. I, they would have done whatever to make sure I finished college. Yeah, that's cool. There's no question in my mind. But I was able to do that. But that meant I need to work, and so I went and and I was convinced that. I had a great pastor I worked for. His name was Ron Reagan, of all things, in that season. That was his name. And Ron was a great mentor for me and mm. gave me a sense of what mm. a good man leading a church could look like. He was a good man, mm. good, integrity, compassionate, strong. And he gave me a vision. I'm like, I could, I think I might be like Ron. Mm. And then in that, they, everybody kept saying, you should go be a pastor. You should, go be, you should be one of those guys that stands out. Because at this point, you were developing leadership. Obviously, that was coming out of you. You're able to communicate, articulate, and that. So people are seeing this. Yeah, and that, that and got saying, affirmed hey, a lot. you should go. That got affirmed a lot. That's what you yeah. need to go do. Okay. And I was like, well, okay. So I we that's why we went, wound up going to Chicago. And Teresa got her master's degree at UTC while we were, which was the grace and smartest thing we've ever mm. done because she was done with that so when she went to chicago she got involved in residence life she was college that's a, connected to the seminary okay. trinity you went to seminary in chicago, chicago trinity international trinity. university okay. in deerfield yeah and i want to back up yeah and ask one question and talk about trinity so her dad obviously successful corporate executive and was he like, hey, can you support my daughter? <laughs> and I don't say that. Well, the hunky guy who left was his I, choice. Because no, I, I would probably ask the same question. No, like, the hunky guy who left was his yeah, choice. Yeah, he was like, wait a second. Yeah, I was this My father-in-law had a distaste in his mouth for preacher types because of what he had seen yeah. in his northeastern Mississippi background. Mm. And we actually shared that distaste. Hmm. And he came to believe I wasn't that. And I think that... So he found some common ground. Yeah. I think the, I think he would say of me that I would do what was right and I would do the hard thing mm. in our marriage and parenting. We had some hard parenting. And so I think that they, he came to respect that. Still not totally understanding all the pieces of it, yeah. but appreciating it. And they actually... We're in New Orleans when Katrina hit. They were in Kenner, oh, and they wow. moved to Knoxville, and they actually attended fellowship oh, for wow. a couple of years before Are he they, passed. Oh, so he's no longer with yeah, us. Yeah, okay. he died about 
11 years ago, I think, 10 years ago, and she died four years ago. So she's lost her parents. Your parents That's are, right. are still with mm -hmm. us. Yeah. That's cool. But they were in Knoxville kind of at the end. That's so cool. I think that built. Yeah. And, yeah, and they, they were wonderful, his grandparents. Yeah. And I think he's held really tough. But yeah. I think for him, a good man does his work well, treats people well, loves his family. And yeah. I, he saw that in me, and that was That's enough. Cool. That's yeah. awesome. Thanks for asking. You're leaving. You're working at the church in Chattanooga. In Chattanooga and why seminary was it somebody i mean obviously yeah, yeah. You, theoretically to be a pastor you need to, you don't have to go to seminary i suppose but yeah. that's probably the right course yeah and so how did you end yeah. up what why trinity what was the draw to chicago great, great questions so first of all i had i would say that my youth ministry pastoral leadership had been effective we would say it was effective and it gave me a sense of calling hmm. And what I wanted to it, do. It was affirming that, yeah, this is where I need to yeah, go. Some, something I, in pastoral yeah, leadership is yeah. where I want to be. But what I really wanted to do was, and this is someone I didn't tell the story, Brian, Craig Williford had been one of my, he was a young professor who came there. And he and his wife mentored my wife and I did our premarital hmm. and really believed in me in some ways that I didn't find in some other parts of Brian. They didn't see me in the way he mm -hmm. saw me. He later would be instrumental in helping. He was my first ever person I could go to for leadership coaching mm. in my 40s mm. because of that relationship was built. I wanted to be that. I want like I'm I tend to see things and think there's a better way to do that. Mm. And that's what I want to do. Yeah. So my goal was go to seminary, do the pastoral thing, whatever I need to do. Then go get a doctoral degree and become a professor in my like huh. late forties or fifties. Okay. I thought I want to end. To teach. I want to end my career huh. being a professor because I can influence. I can yeah. teach. I don't have to deal with the church. Yeah, I just I can and do what I do well because I'm a really good mentor and I raise up next generation people. So I thought well, this is a great place to so go. You saw it as do all this pastor for a while and yeah. sail off into the sunset as a professor teaching young men yeah. and women. Yeah, and how to do work with the next generation, yeah. okay. how to do student ministries, how to do spiritual and, formation. And this particular seminary was just like, well, I don't even know what it is. That's fine. So, <laughs> Not that I need to know. No, like, I'll, I give you, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. I had a seminary in Portland, Denver, and Chicago. Okay. And all four of them were great options for me. They was were Cornwall and Boston? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Gordon Cornwall. Gordon Cornwall, yeah. yeah. Gordon Cornwall, Denver yeah. Seminary and then Western Seminary in Portland. Okay. All of them were theologically aligned with me, but with a lot of space. Didn't have to do, didn't have to choose one brand. Was there a denominational? I know uh, Gordon Cornwall is Presbyterian. Yeah, right? Evangelical Free Church of America is the denomination Trinity's affiliated with. Okay. But the number of yeah, graduates yeah. they have far exceeded it. And it was, I went the Denver, about Trinity and Gordon Conwell in Boston were the most attractive to me because of the diversity yeah. and the cities. I yeah. wanted to, I wanted yeah. to learn. I wanted yeah, to those live are in definitely, it. I mean, world class pots. cities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And but I don't like again. I don't know what to do, Paul. I'm like, I'm clueless. This is like, there's no, I have no frontier for this. I've never country boy from East Tennessee. I've never been on a plane. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm as, as bad as, for the older generation, Beverly Hillbilly. I'm the clam. Yeah. I don't know what to do. <laughs> And so we had two corporate pilots in our church in Brainerd. And I said, if you're ever going to one of these four cities and you can stow away me up there. I didn't have the money for a ticket. Uh. And I'd never driven any place like that before. And I'd just only recently been to Nashville. So one of the pilots <laughs> said, hey, I got to go to Chicago. And uh, you want to just ride? And I'm like, sure. So my first ride on a plane was a little corporate was a, plane. was a corporate plane. Yeah, that's a stowaway. Yeah. And there's somebody I'd known from Brian or, my wife was a cheerleader at Brian. She'd been a cheerleader. He'd played yeah. basketball there, okay. affected him a lot. Yeah. And so I went to Trinity and I'm like, this is going to work. Mm. 
there's good teaching here. There's diverse, very diverse, okay. very global, like yeah. soup, like lots of different yeah. people from lots of different places. And I was like, candy store to me. I'm going to learn and learn. And I can do it in Chicago. And yeah. And this was to get a master's get a master's in, degree. In I theology. went there to get a master's of divinity, which divinity. is what you do. Okay. And I like, MDiv, I'm, right? and then I'll figure it out from there. Yeah. And then I was in class for two weeks and I don't mean this in a, I don't know how to say <laughs> what I'm about to say, except to say it. I looked around the room. I respected these guys. I thought they were great guys, but I just like, we're just like, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and I don't think I should be a pastor. And I told Teresa, and then I said, and again, no, I don't mean this. I hope I don't know how to say this. I just thought these people would not want me to work for them. Because mm. the way you saw church, yeah, not I just, the same. I, I don't know, but I mm. didn't feel like I didn't feel like I belonged in any way. Mm. I I and I don't know if that was my Appalachian thing speaking. My I don't know what it was. So I'm not going to put that on them or anybody else, other than just like this does the learning excites me, but the conversations we're having when we're not learning like we're sitting and having a sandwich or whatever other than a couple of people i'm like i don't <laughs> don't but you did it you were there for way a lot well so here's what happens <laughs> so here's what happens i cut it back to an ma so i can get out sooner okay and then i'm going to find something to do in youth ministry whether it's young life or interesting camp or maybe okay. a church if i find the right hmm. spot and my wife's the the director of a dorm for 240 women. They need the college basketball coach needs an assistant coach, so mm. I, women's coach. So I've coached women's yeah, basketball. Yeah. They need a tennis coach. <clears throat> I never played tennis in my life. I mean, I've hit the ball times, but so I became the tennis became coach. The tennis coach, yeah. And we maybe finished second in the conference. Like I always tell people, I can coach anything, even if I don't know how to do it. So I, I had to hire somebody to teach skills because I didn't know how to teach them, but I could teach teamwork <laughs> and how to win. And it's just those are funny stories That's about funny. me. That's but hilarious. here's the thing that happened. I've been there a year. I want to finish my MA in two years and I'm out. Yeah. And the college said, hey, we've heard you got this background. I'm 26 years old. And I'm 25 years old at this point. I don't even have a master's degree. And they said, this department, we have this youth ministry program because that's what sprung up in the 80s is it sprung up as schools started teaching youth students ministry. to be youth ministers, oh. not just past Because you had people. some background and a brainer. Yeah, because I'd done that and I'd done camp and and I could communicate. And, and they just said, Hey, would you teach a couple of classes for me? And I said, well, can I be honest degree? You've taken PE classes, psychology classes, and sent them to Willow Creek to see what Willow Creek does, which none of them will ever do and call it a youth ministry major. So I will teach classes for you. If you let me redo your program in a way that actually develops people for ministry. Well, what have I got to lose? I don't have a master's degree. (laughs) And so and they said, well, we can't afford that. I said, well, tell you what, pay me 50% the first year. And if you like the results, then I'll stay and you pay mm. me full time. And if you don't, you hadn't lost anything. They did. So they did. Yeah. So I'm 26 years old and I'm, I am what I am. This isn't the space or time for it, but I had long hair. I had an earring. I was <laughs> me. And so, and I could be me in Chicago. People didn't like yeah. weird out on that yeah, at that yeah, time. Sure. And so... I know how to teach. I know how to mentor. And so they gave it to me. I remember my first class, there were seven students in the class and it was first semester and it's one of my classes. And about a third of the way through, I looked at the students. I said, this is not working, is it? I said, this (laughs) syllabus is just dumb. And they said, yeah, we're so frustrated. I said, well, let's just throw it all out. Let's do something else. So I just read it. So I didn't have anything to lose, but it worked. Did you get your MDiv? No, I just got an MA. You did an MA. Yeah. You did. Okay, yeah. so you did that 
like you said. Yeah, I just okay. finished that up. Is that how you paid for it? Was through all this stuff? Because it had to be pretty expensive to go. To it was. There. I got a discount because of Teresa's work, and okay. then when I started teaching, I got a huge yeah, discount. Sure. And I had a couple who I won't say their name because I don't think they like to be named, but they had helped us through. To, they had seen that back potential Chattanooga? back in Chattanooga, and they paid part of my tuition. Again, Somebody, right? I mean, They're, every we, time, yeah, yeah. every time. And who gives a department to a 26-year-old? <laughs> again, and I know fault of mine, it just grew in it. Yeah. And so then I'm like, well, if I'm going to do this, I need a PhD. They had just started a doctoral program in education. And they, Ted Ward had been the pastor emeritus at Michigan State. He was an innovator. Gosh, he was an innovator. And he was a strong follower of Jesus. And he came there to create an, an international multicultural doctoral program. And again, like all of a sudden, I'm like thrown into wow. a, a completely different universe. I've never, the guy next to me is from Burundi and speaks seven languages. And the guy next to me is the head of Young Life in, in Western Europe. And the guy over here is the head of Youth for Christ. And, wow. and I was the youngest person ever admitted in the program, which is ridiculous. They only take 25% North American white male because they wanted a truly diverse program. Yeah. So I land in Disney World. So you don't have to have an MDiv to get a PhD? Not in education. Uh, in theology, you would. Uh, this was an education. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, so it was an, it's theological education, right? So, okay. so then I'm like, I'm launched in. So I spent the next seven years teaching full-time at the college. So you're still not, I mean, you were a pastor as a youth pastor, but you're out of pastoral... I'd like never been direct a, pastor. I was a pastor from 20 to 24, Paul. I'd never been the pastor or leader of anything until I became the leader at Fellowship. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'd been on staff there, but I'd never done anything uh, like that in my life. My story is like, you, you, how do you connect that dot? And every time you connect the dot, it's people. Yeah, people, yeah. And it's community. Yeah. Every time. So you, how long did you stay in Chicago? Total of 12 years. Kids were born in Chicago? Kids were born in Chicago. All three of them? Mm-hmm. They, uh, one thing you have to understand about my, very hard to teach full-time, have children, have your wife. She was the co-director of the University Counseling Center. I was going to say, she's working too. Yeah, she's right? the co-director okay. of the University Counseling Center. Now, we can play that off in a college. Co-director University Counseling yeah. Center. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly t- young too. She's in her late 20s probably. At this yeah, time. early 30s. And the only female director in the whole university. She's, wow. So she walks in the room, which is classic classic she sits down and all the men talk about their books and everything they turn to her how are your kids yeah <laughs> so yeah she's also if you do enneagram stuff she's an eight so god bless her is for she that. Really? oh yeah oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. yeah what yeah. are you i'm a nine you're nine mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. okay yeah um, strong one wing or eight wing uh, i can do both <laughs> me yeah you're the <laughs> It takes a long time to cross me, but don't. The eight is the competitor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but the one is the internal critic. Yeah. I'm not really that hard on other people until they cross me. Yeah. But internally, I'm, I've had to learn it. Yeah. I heard Donald Miller once say that about eights, that they don't just want to beat you, but while they're beating you, they want to put their foot on your neck. Yeah. Well, we always <laughs> But say, then when it's over, they like, I mean, that was great. Because of her family background, my family background, which reemphasized all these things and contributed to my nine and her eight. I told her soon after we married, I said, we're actually the perfect couple. Because when something goes wrong, the first thing you think of is it's your fault. Yeah. And the first thing I think of, it's my fault. <laughs> it's always my fault. <laughs> that works out perfectly. Yeah. Well, so, a- until you do it for 20 years and yeah. you figure out that's probably not healthy. But so yeah. 12 years in Chicago. Yeah. And, and how, how old were your kids at the end of that 12 years? Yeah. So I'm going to have to give you just a little one minute thing here. Yeah, please. You get seven years to finish your dissertation. Okay. Okay. 
I mean, finish your degree in your dissertation. Okay. I finished, I, did, I took six years, 364 days, 23 hours, like you went and to 50 the, you minutes. You went right up to the wire. Yes. That's symbolic. I was working 19 hours a day trying to finish my dissertation that summer. We had, a, and you had three kids. Yeah. So we had Jessica at two, let me take two years before we left. Okay. Jessica, because then I moved from the college, I was teaching the college seminary. Then I moved to the seminary, okay. which was a, like now I'm 36 and chair of the department at this he global seminary. in Chicago for pretty formative years. Very formative. Young marriage. Young married, young, wow. young children. Okay. Jessica's born. We struggled tons with infertility before Jessica. First. She's the She's first. The we, I believe, I said, Teresa, I think we should adopt. She doesn't feel that, so we're not doing it. Do you feel it? Then we went up adopting our Zach. He... Jessica was almost five. He was sick, very sick from the very beginning, two full years, like stressing us. I mean, his- Was this option? Yeah, we, Teresa's in the living room, teenager. Okay. okay. I, mean, I love That's her cool. and she's in his life and I couldn't oh, really? be happy. Oh, still? Oh, and cool. her, he's got a full sister with her. Oh. There, I mean, I could not, I love and respect Becca so much. I'm so cool. thankful, so yeah. thankful. And That's for cool. in Zach's life. But he was really sick. And then Teresa got pregnant and we're like, we can't do this. <laughs> like, I'm working and going to school. School. I'm at the chair of the department of the seminary. I'm 36 years old. You're the co-director of the counseling. Like it's just starting to. So five years old down to two. They're five years apart or three four and five, 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 basically five, five years, years apart. apart. And then the next close to Zach. Okay. 25 months. And oh, we miscarried wow. in between. Oh my goodness. So what Lots happens is well, all this is happening and the stresses are just built. The stress points are just building and all of my performance stuff comes out. I co-author a book. It does really well in the field it's in, yeah. and it, because he had a genius design, it was he had a he invited me to co-author and co- it's a compilation book and to edit it, and he's a genius at designing it, so it did really well. Not because of me, I put the framework and vision together, which is what I do. But so I'm kind of locked and loaded. I've got the if I just hang in here, I'm going to get the doctoral program one day. I mean, this is like my dream. I don't have like you would be the chair of the doctoral. Yeah, that's program. just hang in here and do that's well. That's what you wanted to do. That's what I wanted. What An international. Influential. Pretty big deal. It's an incredible dissertation. Was a study on how effective evangelical seminaries were at preparing people to actually do ministry. I had thoughts about that. Well, I bet you did. <laughs> and, and so I, all this was going on, right? And then we hit a financial thing, and then structures changed at Trinity for Teresa, where it wasn't, it was not going to really be the right place for her mm. anymore. And so she said, "I think." I'm going to change. And she had an out exit strategy and everything. And I said, I don't think we're living well. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think our marriage is healthy. I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not healthy. I don't think our kids are like, I don't think this is working. Mm-hmm. What if we just said, took a blank sheet of paper and said, we'll go wherever God wants mm-hmm. us to go. Now that sounds noble. Yeah. It wasn't. I was scared. What's the appropriate word language. I was very scared. <laughs> there There's a word. I felt like I'd failed. I knew our marriage oh. wasn't good. I told her, I said, our daughter Jessica doesn't even know the person I married. Mm-hmm. And that's not a detriment to Teresa. That's mm-hmm. just the... And every, you guys And all of us were exhausted. Mm-hmm. All our friends were in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Like, we were so alone. Where does somebody in all that... Where do you go to church? Like, is yeah, it That's like, always a little weird. Like, because I had some a couple of good church experiences, but usually the person there is either part of seminary went to the that's seminary. That's what I mean. Like it's always, yeah. like I always think it's hard for like a former pastor yeah. to go to church. Right? Yeah. Like, and I what? tried to work on like a church staff part time, but it, it was like a, it was, it just wasn't, it was like trying to blend two cultures with no effort and it, like really doing the work. It just, 
I was so confused because I actually thought I was a pretty good leader, but I wasn't really, I was leading a department, but that was different. And there was, a, and I, the natural progression for me was, and I had opportunities to go this, dean, president, that's where you go. Yeah. Well, I couldn't, I couldn't be a dean. Like they would fire me in three minutes mm. and the jump to president is not there. And so I did want the doctoral department. So that would have held me. But I really, even that wasn't going to be the leadership thing. So my wife would say to you, this all made sense that you left there. For me, though, it felt like, oh, my gosh. So I put the blank sheet of paper out there. And you said, no. No. <laughs> I had two. <laughs> the first thing that came I to I had mind. two provisions. <laughs> I didn't want to work in a church. And I didn't want to go to the South. Really? Yes. Like, that's my provision. Okay. All right. And somebody that I'd known, I'd come and spoken at a fellowship youth retreat. He had been a seminary student okay. while I'd been there. Okay. And connection people okay, he just said would yeah. you just come and interview here at fellowship at fellowship at the time okay so i went to denver seminary I, we looked at all the options and denver seminary is the one i wanted and fellowship was the one i felt like i could not at least interview and just because of the relationship or? that relationship doug banister who is here in knoxville i loved doug had a vision for educating that was similar to mine Did you already know doug no you didn't okay. but we both we were the same age we had some similar thoughts and i told them well anyway so i went to denver and everything about denver this was it and there was an access to administration there like mm -hmm. the path and i could influence more of the whole and all the things this yeah. was it yeah and I told him, I said, but I've got plane tickets to go to Knoxville and I'm going to, I can't interview with that church having already taken this job. That's lax integrity. Yeah. So I'm going to go. And once I'm done, I will call you. And I came here and I mean, we had a prayer time. Doug was in there. Some others were in there. We prayed. And I just, in my way that I know, knew I was supposed to come and do this. And well, what did Teresa think? She was like, you have got to be kidding me. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. And I told her, here's what's on my list right now. I've, I have. We've built, our careers are so far advanced for our age, but everything underneath it's not. And I mm -hmm. said, I need us, I need to get my, back to who I am. I need to get myself, we need to get our marriage health. We've got to get healthy. Yeah. And if we go to Denver, we're by ourselves again. We're, mm -hmm. she, we're hoofing it again, trying to make money. You don't make much money teaching. Yeah. And I just, and I was honest with Doug. I said, I think I'll only be here about two years. Was there any attraction to being close to your parents? Was that at all? It would probably been more attractive if they hadn't lived in East Tennessee. Like, I mean, obviously, when you got three kids, it's yeah. great to have grandparents yeah, yeah, yeah. in their lives. So you were still pretty like, I just can't. I mean, I feel God's calling me here, but this is not. I Are changed. You sure? I changed the way I talk, Paul. Like, yeah. I had more, <laughs> just like, like not the plan. Yeah, and I'm not. Well, please don't hear that name. That's about me. That's not yeah, about Knoxville. No, I'm no. so thankful. My kids are raised in Knoxville. Yeah. I love Knoxville. I've had opportunity to leave. I'm not leaving. Like yeah. I love Knoxville. I love what God's doing in the city. I love the people. I respect so many people in this yeah. community. I do not. This is about my internal struggle with the Appalachian kid yeah. who felt like going back to the South and going to a church, which is not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Being negative about church, it's just, it's not a good fit for me. They're not going to like yeah. who I am. Felt like getting in that elevator shaft in yeah. the coal mine. Well, and just for some context for everybody that anybody doesn't know or isn't in church world around here, Doug was the founding, founding pastor, pastor for so Fellowship, gifted. which grew really fast rapidly. and rapidly back yeah. in those days, and is now the pastor of another church, also, which is right here, yeah. Yeah. pointing, but yeah. also is right around the corner from us. And so, just and Doug is from like Ohio or something like that. Yeah, I think or, that's right. He went yeah. to Northwestern, yeah. a journalism major, yeah. Northwestern, and just a brilliant, creative man. Yeah. 
and one of my favorite guys. Like, he used to. We went to Cedar Springs for years, and every time Doug spoke there, I used to love to hear. Doug I told him Doug I wish speak. I could communicate. He usually cries. I love that about Doug. Yeah, no, he brings <laughs> his heart. Always brings he's, his heart. Yeah, Very he's, tender. He's full of heart and tenderness. Yeah, he he's a yes, great he man. Is. So, all right. So, for some reason you were coming to Knoxville. Yeah, and against uh, all against all, all odds and here. <laughs> one of the things that Doug and I talked about is could we possibly create something like a church-based learning environment? Well, well, I guess I should step back a minute. What was the job? It wasn't to be the senior pastor because Doug was the senior yeah, pastor. Like, I think what was the job you were originally, coming to do? And this got to be part of the challenge. Originally, it was to work with the parents and families of adolescents, which I obviously was gifted, written about, yeah. taught on. Okay. A lot of my educational background was in developmental psychology okay. and the integration of developmental psychology, culture, and theology. Why do those things yeah, come well. together to form people? So this wasn't like, hey, come be the youth pastor, come no, be no. the adult ministries pastor. Right. This was like a new was a, type yeah, of yeah, job. Yeah, it was mostly a placeholder to get me on staff to okay. be able to build some kind of a learning environment. environment. Okay. And so I started doing that. When you that. say a learning environment, was there a thought to build a school? Whatever. Or was it? it okay. was you didn't know whatever. what it was no, at this point. Just, it was just something yeah. around learning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had a vision for how I thought people actually learn from ministry. Yeah. We thought maybe we could do that here. And obviously, I mean, I think too, there's, I could see like you had pretty strong credentials at this point. Oh yeah. To, for PhD, something like got, that. Yeah. yeah. I've written books. I mean, yeah. I've got the, yeah. I actually okay. was finishing writing a book for InterVarsity, which I think is the best book I've ever written. And it was basically my core textbook for how to teach people how to do youth ministry. And hmm. So ironic that it was the year I should have gotten a sabbatical and the year I was finishing my, my to that point, opus youth ministry, and I wound up going to it. And so we did, the, we did call it Ministry Leadership Institute, for lack of a better term. Okay. And Doug and the staff and the elders gave me some wonderful opportunities. And it was a transitional time for him in the church, mm-hmm. just sorting through gift to the kingdom yeah. and how that, and the, I will tell you, all those young guys out there, men and women who think, man, I'd love to lead a church that just blows up and gets big really fast <clears throat> until you do it. Yeah. And it's not so. Pleasant. Anytime anything grows really fast, I mean, it's just, it's stress on the system. Sure. And I think, in a, I don't know a whole lot about, because I've never led a yeah. church, obviously, yeah. but just from the outside, I can only imagine, I have led a, a nonprofit, yeah. uh, so I can only imagine the complexities, the, what's the word? I, I don't want to over, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but I'll just say it the only way I know how. The complexities of your your clientele, I hate to say it that no, way, but your clientele is a, a non-paying, it, it just, it's complicated. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the folks that you're serving, that's probably yeah, exactly. a better way to say it, have opinions. And we all know that faith can be extraordinary, extraordinarily subjective. It is. It's very emotional. And it's very emotional, personal. And, and you've invested yeah. a lot. It feels invested yeah. in it. It's you know? I, and, I, I tell like a CEO, I said, just imagine that all of your people who are actually closest to you and their children and their spouses come to work with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like a performance. Yeah. Bill Haslam yeah. once said to me, he said, he said, being a CEO was so different than being like a mayor and in politics because a CEO, you really... You may try to make good decisions and bottom line and treat people well. And I'm not minimizing what that is. That's a very hard mm-hmm. job to do. And the complexity of a larger organization, whether it's a church or whatever, is you're always going to have extraordinarily diverse opinions on mm-hmm. what you do. And yeah. what Bill said, if you're mayor, if you're governor, those opinions relate to whether or not you get to do the job. Like the, the job. And the same thing in the pastoral role yeah. is I lead a volunteer army with the organization. So there's complexity to it. There's also amazing, wonderful thing. As a CEO of a corporation, you don't get some of the benefits or the perks I do of the kind of relational moments I have with people and some things I walk through with people. So it's good and bad, but I have learned 
from C-suite leaders, CEOs, COOs, CFOs, folks like that. I've learned so much about leading that's been really helpful. And then I've also learned to respect their role and the differences of my role. And, yeah. and I'm not a, I always said, I just wished I was either like Doug's such a communicator, my mm, gracious, or I wished I was a general, like the guy who comes in and says, I'm in charge. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm a nine, I'm a coach yeah. and a creator. And so I've had to work, I've, I've, people have had to work with me in very basketball-like team environments where yeah. there's a lot of sharing of the ball. There's a lot of setting screens so somebody else can score. Yeah. There's a lot of improv choreography like and a lot analogies. of yeah of living in the emotional runs of losing and winning and mm. and I coached a basketball for a decade and led an organization as I said earlier and where our team was called Tennessee Fury we had at one point 32 teams and uh, we and we had year-round basketball touched thousands of kids' lives mm, that's awesome. and I always said. Greg and I were perfectly designed to do that. We learned how to exhaust ourselves and lose tons of money. <laughs> that was our hobby. And we both just reached a place where we just couldn't continue. It was yeah. just too much to be able to do well. But in those years, it was wonderful. But one of the things I loved about being the basketball coach was like, you know, it's tournament ball. It's all this tournament. Every time you got to win here to get to here yeah. to get to here. Yeah. So everything's on the line all the time. Yeah. And it brings out all the emotion and all the stuff. Well, I, per, for Rick's world, rightly understood the church is a mission with a sense of urgency to mm-hmm. it. Though so I don't personally experience or critique it by whether or not people are coming, mm-hmm. whether or not they're having good experiences, whether or not they like me, or I experience this. Whether or not we, when we say that we have a place we occupy in this bigger kingdom, this bigger story, are we occupying it and moving that mission forward mm-hmm. in a way that reflects the nature and character of the Savior we follow? Mm-hmm. And his agenda for the world, which mm. if you look at his agenda for the world, it's pretty intense. And so <laughs> so it, it works for me yeah. when I think of it that way. If I think of it as I'm, quote, leading a church, mm. I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure why I would do that. Yeah. But if I am a part of a community and a team and I'm leading that team to lead that church toward, and in our case, it's raising up a generation mm. for, because I don't believe we've seen much of a 21st century church in mm. most churches particularly in the South, including minor adaptations of 20th century church. And I think a 21st century church looks very different. It still looks like a church, but there's a lot of elements. So we're pursuing mm. what we call it the church not yet imagined. Yeah. Now that captures that's my heart and imagination yeah. and yeah. Gives, that stirs my leadership. And so I am, quote, a CEO of all the organization, but my engine, my driver, my vision is towards what have we not yet created. Yeah, that's cool. Which fits into your always a better way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, let's just talk through, you said before we got on eight years of crisis and 20 years, you get there, Doug is there, there's yeah. a leadership team there. Is any of that leadership team still there besides you? We have a receptionist in there 25 years, okay. 26 years. So essentially, I mean, I'm, I've been here for 11 years and I'm the only person that was here the day I yeah. got here. So I Seasons totally, change. I understand. <laughs> so, and it requires transition. Like. Yeah, it's very hard. But it's the, like, it's, like I always said, nobody remembers who followed John Wooden at UCLA. And there's a really good reason. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah, he didn't last. Yeah. So I always say it's like, a, you don't want to be the one to follow John or uh, Nick Saban. That like, was Doug Bannister in this community, and rightly yeah. so. And all respect to Doug. And he did things I could never do. And I think I always said that. For those who were in the transition, it felt like metaphorically I was their stepfather. Just want dad back. Mm, Why isn't dad here? And that's not a negative on Doug leaving or that it's just the feel that people had was this is a disappointing substitute for the dad I had. (laughs) Tell tell us. So you got what year did you get here? 
I moved here in 98. 98. And when did the transition from? With I became the, the interim lead pastor February of 2002. And I thought that would be all that would, I figured You that didn't would, have expectations to continue. I was willing to, but I told as they put it in place, like this isn't going to work. Yeah. Because as wonderful as Doug is, we're not the same. Oh gosh, you're completely different. And yeah. what I would that does do, it too. Yeah. Oh, like, <laughs> whoa, hey. and I'm a nine, but I can, if I'm not, careful i can be very deceptive and you don't understand what lies underneath yeah i've actually had to learn that i'm being deceptive when people don't know yeah. because and i want to say this you can't do this and it's one of the reasons i love coaching basketball because the actual object is to win like, yeah <laughs> like and i told him i need you to be wholly mean that means h-o-l-y i want you to be if you're a believer if you're not they weren't all christians but like i want to be in what i consider to be godliness but Crush their will to win. The like just, to win. Yeah. Just crush their will <laughs> to win. So that's in me. And if people don't yeah. like don't know that, they can be like, oh, he's just a this. But I am a shepherd, but as long as we're going some, we're moving the herd. <laughs> Staying in the little field doesn't do anything for me. Having the lambs all happy is not my thing. But so anyway, it's just, it was almost whiplash, I think. Yeah. Really Plus, tough. That's hard. I mean, ch- I, again, I've never been in leadership to yeah. see it, but. Well, I told transitions have got. Yeah. I've watched it at. I've seen it at Cedar Springs, but like they're. Well, here's my first four, super complicated. Here's my first foray into being a lead pastor. I took one of the fastest growing churches in America and turned it into probably the fastest declining church yeah. in America. <laughs> so, so two questions on that. Um, one is, was there a big group of people left? Sixty percent. Sixty percent. So. Half did this, we go from 4,000 to 1,800 or whatever? I don't know what the number was. It was a big number. Though. It was a big number. I don't really keep up too much with the number. It is a large church. Was, I don't think too much. But it was, I knew it was 60% and 50% of the elders and 75% of the staff were gone within four years. Wow. Okay. And was there any relational strife with you and Doug at that point? No. no I think that good. Doug, and, no, well, Doug and I, we talked. Okay. There were moments when there were hard things for him and hard. He stayed and taught for a year with me because I, I said, you're the better teacher of the two of us. Oh, well, he stayed and Yeah, taught. he stopped for a oh, year wow. and then okay. felt called also, which has been his yeah. journey. And yeah. now he's in, I think he's really finding convergence for himself in this yeah. season. I'm really happy for him. I both would be, I, I'll just say, I won't speak for him. If I could go back and replay it and redo it, I, I'd never been through that before. I yeah. definitely, there's two or three conversations I had, things we'd done better. Yeah. I would have worked I think there's a couple of things I could have done that would have made that transition more effective for Doug, yeah. right? And so, I, but I've talked to him about that, yeah, and I don't. So. I genuinely could say, you could, if he were sitting in this chair, I believe he'd say, Rick and I are fine, and we're yeah. great. We respect each other. We aren't the same people. Like honestly, long term, I probably couldn't work for him, and long term, he couldn't work for me. But that's just. I said, here's what I say for of those life. of you who are Christians out there. There are so many wonderful, godly wives. But I don't want to be married to him. Yeah, that's right. I got the one. I got the <laughs> yeah. one I want. You know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So that's it's not a statement yeah. on character. It's just difference. Yeah, just but I'm a people. very, very different kind of leader. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've just for some context, like I've been through a business divorce, not the same thing, right. where it was my best friend and we had some, I mean, it was hard. It was very sure. hard. So I, and I think we both were fine. We weren't for a while, but we're fine. But we would both say what you said. If I could go back and, oh. and oh. know what I know now, which is impossible. You know, sure, I would have done yeah. a few things differently. Totally makes sense. So for four years, it was in decline. And I, and the elders rightfully came to the place of like, I don't know if you're the guy. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And that was fair. Like, yeah. I could look around and think, yeah. yeah I, I don't know I, if I, I am <laughs> This one family. The evidence would point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not good here. Like, from a coaching perspective, it's like we're in the fourth quarter and down 16 and yeah. we're in foul trouble. Yeah. But I remember 
one family came to me. <laughs> They're still at Fellowship, bless them. They're wonderful. But they said, we feel like we're ready to leave. Like, this is not the church we were mm. at. And we feel like God wants, we want to leave, but God won't let us. I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm just like, I, this is bringing me no joy either. Like, I'd like to be out of this. And huh. why didn't you? I went to the back parking lot one Sunday and I cried because I just didn't want to walk in again and see the disappointment and the low numbers. We had two services in the first, and it's a large auditorium. Yeah, and the good. first one was on the verge of collapse. I mean, and I knew if we lost first service, I was gone. Mm. I mean, you just can't survive the optics. Yeah. And I just said, Lord, what do you want? And he said, love them. Like, they don't love me. I mean, not all. Yeah. No, just love them. And uh, that's your job. You leave the rest to me. So I felt I was called to love them. So I just tried to love them. Best, way I, knew yeah. Best way I knew how. Were Probably you- learned from my dad. Sometimes mm-hmm. you just, son, you just stay in the hard thing because it's the right thing to do until you're called otherwise or until they fire you, which they had every right to do and came very close. I remember the endorsement I got. One elder, after they were sitting there, and I'm like, this is it. I told my wife beforehand, son, I'm going to get fired tonight. And uh, a lot of discussion. And I, mean, I and I fought them zero for this, Paul. I, yeah. I'd sit in there. They should be asking that question. Yeah. They should have asked the question. And one elder said, well, I don't think we're, I don't think he's done yet. That turned the tide and I stayed. <laughs> I mean, it was nothing more than that. There was no rousing. This is our guy. Wow. So, and I just said to them, hey, let's work on being all together in unity. And the, not, we know we have to lead the church with unity. And if we can rally around my leadership with you and unify, that's great. And if we can't, let's find another person. Mm-hmm. It's really okay. Yeah. And then literally the decline was literally for four years precipitous. The next Sunday was the beginning of the change. Wow. And I genuinely believe, because I believe leadership in all cases is more organic and unseen than mm-hmm. seen, that the organic shift to a unified team began to be felt. And I even started to lead differently. And Brennan Manning, of all people, I am with Brennan Manning. Oh, yeah. So I sat with much. Brennan Manning. Oh, I didn't and know I like said, you did. I didn't know you had to. Yeah, I mean, that's and, pretty awesome. And I said, <laughs> I said, these people treat me like their stepfather, Brennan. They're never going to let me be the leader here. And he said, you are their stepfather, but stop acting like it. So I just loved him. Well, I remember he did come to, to fellowship. Yeah. And so I just, speak, l- so. just tried to learn, love them like a spiritual father would love, not in a patriarchal way, but yeah. in a nurturing, loving, and leading way, which is, if you think about it, Paul makes sense because at 61, I've released almost everything to a younger generation. I coach them and I lead them. I cast, I'm the large vision person. When things go wrong, they come to me at a larger level, but and there's like maybe once a month I make an executive decision. Mm. Other than that, I advise them, coach them, and then they make the decisions. Mm. And I get to be the person who puts my myself around them, these men and women who are capable and who can create a 21st century church. Mm. I can't. I'm 61. It mm. won't come out of me. Mm. It's going to come out of not them, but the ones they lead. Underneath them, them will yeah, come yeah. the next church. Mm. And they know how to get there. And so... That's actually what my job description is now. I only teach like once a month. I'm very involved. I don't want anybody to hear like, oh, he's got his hands off. (laughs) No, I I worked. Yesterday was supposed to be my day off, but because my wife and I are going to New York, I I went up working like 10 hours yesterday Mm -hmm. because something needed to be taken care of, and that's my job. But the elders have really encouraged me to reproduce this way of leadership that Mm -hmm. I've formed over time Mm -hmm. in me and in our church, and then also they want me to multiply it to other leaders. And so I do coaching with and sweet people and pastors and mm-hmm. others 
to to just develop the vision for what leadership can look like. I'm going to be honest with you. For those in the Christian world, there's the podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Oh, yeah. And it's gained a lot of ground and I understand it. Like none of this surprised me. I know a lot of, if you've got a name that's fallen, I got one or two degrees of separation in some cases, a direct link. And I could have told you those things were. And what I'm urging people is I know this is new and I understand it. And I know it's, you need to know it, but what if instead of that, I turned your attention towards what it could look like, what it could be. And we put a ton more energy Mm. and getting away from what I think are bad 20th century models of alpha male, highly publicly gifted people who by default are going to become disconnected, unhealthy people, which you put large public gifts and internal unhealth, and you're going to get it over and over. And what I would love to see is for us to be more focused on this. Anyway, that's getting down the road. But, But that's born out of crisis. Like I've had to lead through that. And my executive coach, Harv Powers, talks about the crucible of leadership, a great term. And the crucible is what forms us. And for the church, it's a lot of things. For me, it's the chasing out still. And then this last crisis was precipitated by several things. One, I realized we weren't going to get where we were trying to go with the current reality. Mm-hmm. Looked at this has been good. One general said, the more successful your army has been, the less likely you're open to change. Yep. And we were one <laughs> successful army, yeah. but we were not headed in the direction. I was going through a question, am I the guy to lead this next mm-hmm. season or am I mm-hmm. in the way at this point? Mm-hmm. And I had met with my team, this was 2018, early 2019, and said, hey, been reading on self-disruption and we need to disrupt this thing because mm-hmm. we've gotten, this isn't going to, I don't mm-hmm. know what that looks like, but we need to disrupt this mm-hmm. thing. Taught the staff on that. And then COVID hit. So it's God like, <laughs> yeah, I'll do that for you. <laughs> so understand the beginning of the transition, my own personal crucible of leadership and the pandemic all hit at one time. That's what 2020 was for me. There are some things you said that I want to try to, yeah, please. I want to ask a couple of questions about. One is I was thinking about was there because of the kind of steady like it sounds like from a, at this point from a distance influence of your dad and even your mom was there anything like you mentioned like the influence of your dad when all this was going on were you talking to him at all about it and was he like stay the course or was it just more of like my, my dad's a very quiet supporter and encourager mm-hmm. and he would always tell me hey I'm praying for you I know this is hard I think that would be a world that's very different than his world yeah. What I got from my dad was, and it's the shadow side of this. What I got from my dad is, you just endure what you got to endure. Life is not supposed to be like it's not supposed to be easy yeah. and fair and, and like. And if you're leading, you have to lead into resistance, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And yeah. so you can't. Resistance is what builds the resilience, which builds the long-term integrity of what you do. So I understood those things. The shadow side of that is, and this is where my wife's a great gift to me is. I can just put my head down and go. And what mm. I did, Paul, was I too often just absorbed it and absorbed it and mm. absorbed it. So, which is probably why I had back surgery when I was 37 years old, right before I moved mm. to Knoxville, 36. I, my tendency is to wear in my body all kinds of stress and mm. trauma. And the secondhand smoke of the, my early childhood is in here. And so what happened was the Lord very graciously, although it did not feel gracious at the time, just poked that and said, I don't know what to do. And working harder is not going to get it yeah. done. I was interesting about you mentioned Mars Hill because I was thinking about that when you're talking about all that. And I think that's an interesting thing from this perspective. One is I was telling people like to me, that whole story is just a story of a loss of vision, number one, or a move away from vision and values and mission. 
and two, the intoxication of money and power, all it's those so things. It's, it's a story that's been told a thousand times, but Mark is just the latest. Yeah. He's only the latest. He's just one of the ones that have been down mm-hmm. that trail. Sadly, it's a lot of times what diminishes people's thoughts around faith and Christianity yeah. and yeah. stuff. Unfortunately, that that is a byproduct of it. But like I think about it from a leadership perspective, it's like I love Andy Stanley's quote where he says, don't die on the hill of your plans, die on the hill of your vision. Yeah. Um, and even sometimes the vision needs to be recast and changed, and which well, is kind seasons, of what you've yeah. gone through yeah. with a new season. And so I just love and appreciate even the thought of like disruption and rethinking and the next generation. I don't know that that's thought of a lot in church. I've watched. A- no, you tend to get locked in that. What happens is you get locked in what's called the golden era. Yeah. And you try to spend the rest of your life keeping the golden era in place. Well, and think about how fascinating it is just in Knoxville, how many big churches have gone through leadership transitions. Very recently. Cedar Springs and Grace and, and uh, Cedar Heights. Heights. And yeah. like all these big churches have gone through these yeah. massive yeah. Lead- and struggled, yeah. quite frankly, through First them. First Concord. So the Concord, way, yeah. yeah Concord the ways I are set up and we'll see is I'm 61. I've already given them what we're trying to do, and I'm going to, over the next few years, I'll be, I'm not taking my hands off wheel, but I'm going to be increasingly invisible, yeah. and I'll disappear in the sunset yeah. as they raise them up. And once a month, I teach in the big room. Once a month, I teach our leaders who are leading. Mm. And once a month, I'm a kids ministry volunteer, and I just go where they tell me. <laughs> that's fun. Yeah. So that, that's, that's my really life cool. of leadership. Yeah. And if you ask me which one is the best for my soul, it's volunteering in the kids' ministry because that platform is far more seductive than people realize. Yeah, and I, I yeah, I feel like I had enough heads up on that by God's grace. And my mentors, Ted Ward, Mark Center, Perry Downs, Linda Cannell, in my doctoral program, they were really good at staying after what really mattered. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So I have some wrap-up questions. Yeah, one, I think about the questions I want to ask. The way I want to ask them, I guess. Do you think? I just can't imagine your parents aren't real proud. I think they they communicate that consistently. Yeah. And I, I was thinking words I would give. I live, my life is more than I ever thought it could be. My career is different than I ever thought it would be. My life is harder than I thought it was going to be. And it far exceeds any imagination I could ever have had that it would be. I've literally traveled the world, mm. traveled the world, That's cool. taught all over the world. Yeah. I mean, from the kid and... The opportunities, my wife and I, if we would just kind of shake our heads, we do a marriage retreat. And I always say, I'm just eye candy, which she laughs at. But anyway, most people she laugh at She is the that. expert. She's the expert. <laughs> she is. I'm just, my gift to it is this is how we work it out. And here's yeah. some ways of thinking about it spiritually. But a lot of it is for 39 years, my wife has pursued my elusive heart mm. faithfully. And I would love for you and your marriage to experience that. That's really our thing. Cool. So we, but we do that That's in some awesome. places where you're like, how in the world did we get here? Like, what? <laughs> so, so yes, it's, yeah. I think we are, we all talk often about that's just God's grace. Yeah. Tell me about your three kids. Where yeah. are they right now? Yeah, they are amazing. They are the three most different human beings ever <laughs> existed in the world. Jess is actually a therapist, a child therapist with Restoration Counseling Associates. Mm, okay. Um, she you, is. Meaning she's working with her mom. She is. Okay. I was, she couldn't work for her because no. she's in the process of getting her license. She actually works for another, you know, she works in a way that she works with the other child therapist. Yeah, okay. So restoration, Teresa doesn't have employees. Yeah. She they're leads, all independent. They're yeah. in, she just said, I don't want yeah. to go home and not thinking about yeah, it. Marla actually just did something for us. Oh, yeah, Marla. She's oh, awesome. Yeah. They're all, they're, <laughs> yeah, they're she's great. got a dream team. TL really well. So yeah, oh, they're all just great. wonderful. Yeah. 
And I love them and so appreciate all of them. And So your oldest is working there. So she's working there. Her husband is the marketing and media guy at Clayton Bradley Academy, oh, which is a wonderful cool. school in Blunt County. They do. James is seven. Abraham is four. And Eli is almost two. And James and Abraham go to Clayton Bradley, which has okay. been a great experience yeah, for that's them. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, and my son-in-law feels like a son to me. I yeah. just love him so much. My that's daughter. So cool. And how old is she? Two. two. And okay. she is a child whisperer. And I I know that, but people tell me all the time, you have no, I'm like, I know. Cool. I told her, I said, Jesse, if you'd just been here when I raised you, you'd turned out so much better. Yeah. <laughs> or at least, no, you wouldn't turned out better. You just had a happier childhood because you're smarter than I am at this. My son, Zach, is uh, in Austin, Texas. He's a content creator. He's done everything from Twitch, which is gaming, yeah. to music creation, video creation. Oh, wow. He's so gifted across such a wide spectrum of things. It's oh. been harder for him to like, how am I going to career this yeah. thing? So he's a little bit like the person who waits tables in Nashville while they work on their yeah, career. Sure. He has a day job, but the day job's to work the other things. And he's That's 27 fun. and That's trying to cool. figure out how yeah. they work single. And one person he went to for like professional guidance on his career and the guy said just keep doing what you're doing but don't find a wife because yeah. you can't afford that well I, I had one of the biggest guys who really hit it big i forget the guy's name on twitch or whatever i remember watching his story he's the Fortnite guy i can't remember yeah. his name but he was like hey i did this for like 10 years yeah before you know. well zach was involved for a season he's he didn't want to stay in that and that'd be his own thing but he and another guy did all the branding for like Dr. Lupo, some of the bigger name oh, yeah, people. He was yeah. he was their guy to because yeah, his cool. music and video is amazing, yeah. and he'll find his niche in some way. And then yeah. my son Ben is twenty five. He lives here in Knoxville with his wife Katie. Katie works in behind the scenes remotely for a company in Austin, Texas that helps connect nonprofits to resources. Yeah. And cool. she's got the biggest heart in the world. I'm just yeah. so proud of her and so thankful for her. And Ben works for Best Logistics and he's a team leader there and he's helped establish a branch there. Cool. And he's got such, he's an incredible coach and leader. He's really, yeah. he doesn't like to be the point of everything, but he loves to lead a team and he's got a great heart. And so, and they have done, I've remarkably well because she's a third generation or fourth generation Green Bay Packer fan. <laughs> who had a grandfather who played for them early in the earliest of days wow. for the franchise. Her sister's husband is the son of the president of the Packers, and we are very not Packers people. We are Bears Because <laughs> you're a Bears person. <laughs> we are Bears people. So I'm just really proud of them. I oh, think they've handled that fun. remarkably well, and that's I just awesome. – I don't give my opinion about Aaron Rodgers uh, to Katie. I do. To <laughs> so Katie's my, not on that thread. <laughs> so my other question, which sounds like it was answered, is it doesn't sound like any of them have chosen to go into ministry. No, I would. Yeah. I mean, my. Well, the my, question would be, what if they did? Like, would it be something where you'd well, be I'll like, tell you what I, I say, encourage ben, you. And yeah, well, here's idea. what I say. Ben asked me one time, said, Dad, is it okay to be rich? I said, yeah, but it's very dangerous. Yes. Yeah. So I live in an environment that has wealth and it's, it's dangerous. Yeah. And I say the thing about being, it's okay to be a pastor. Yeah, but it's dangerous. I, my son-in-law was a youth pastor for a while and found that wasn't, and I'm like zero, like I have zero investment. I I, I do, you've got, okay, steward who God made you to be hmm. in the world in a meaningful way. Yeah. That's plenty. And That's it good. doesn't matter. It's not the money. It's not, none of that works. I've been on the low end and a higher end. And I just can't find any difference in my internal world. It's about a whole bunch of other things. Yeah. But I I look at them and I look at each one of them and they have a magnificent opportunity 
to be an expression of God's kingdom. And as long as they're doing, that's fine. If they want to do ministry, that's fine. But And they wouldn't do it the way I do it, which is good too. That would be the one saving thing is none of them are like me in that. (laughs) And that would be good because I would never want to be in a situation where they were compared compared, or anybody ever compared them because it's just such a, it's such a, it's a a no-win game. Last two things. So you have made a lot of mistakes and you've done a lot of things right. Where do you think the most learning and shaping has come from? The mistakes or the successes? Um, because my belief is we live in a redemptive story. All the best stuff comes from the mistakes, the weaknesses, the losses. My Again, so my executive coach, Harp Powers, we're currently creating some. We've created videos. We're currently in the process of creating what's called Leadership Reframed. I have a Life Reframed podcast. We're going to be, we imagine leadership can be thought of very differently. Mm-hmm. Marketplace sports, church, nonprofit, wherever. But again, he and I have had so many conversations and he's given me great language in this one area of, he said, your redemptive influence comes out of the crisis, the hard, not Mm -hmm. the easy. And Mm -hmm. I feel that very strongly. And so my last four years personally have been about the hardest I've had in my Mm -hmm. own journey and as a leader to transition the way we did during COVID and all the things Uh, that people and people's perception of me. And I'm the at the most joyous place. My wife and I have gone to the deepest, hardest places mm-hmm. in our marriage, and our marriage is at the best place. So I'm a firm believer the thing that we are most afraid of is usually what contains the gift. Mm, that's good. Well, you said it. So my last question is, what's next for yeah. you? What's you, you alluded to some, yeah. something you're doing. So, so I'm a coach and creator. If I'm at your grocery store bagging your groceries, I'm creating something and coaching yeah. somebody. I don't know how else to do anything. So the church has been really wonderful. 75% of my time, I'm invested in Middlebrook and its multiple church plants. We yeah. plant churches to become autonomous. So we've got six of them out there right now. And we'll continue to do that and work with them. But And I'm help, they're creating their own network now, mm-hmm. which is how I love things, mm-hmm. create them and launch them. Mm-hmm. And then 25% of my time, is building these resources for leaders, coaching leaders, creating, I'm writing a book. We've got a video series. We're going to look at a podcast. And over time, over a long period of time, there'll come a time when I'll shift a little bit more in you know, yeah, some of those kinds sure. of directions and stuff. What's the leadership thing? You had a name for it with your well, partner. Well, re-leadership. 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 Yeah, okay. Yeah. And that's with that's, your partner in Denver. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. But that's a long journey. Okay. The thing we're working on right now under that's the leadership reframe, which mm. is specifically for people who – are in their own transitions or leading transitions. Cause like you say, they're really hard. And the two things that really effective men and women who are leaders, the biggest mistakes they make are one, I'm always supposed to know what to do. And two, I'm supposed to know and do it alone. Mm. Those two mm-hmm. myths are where all the disasters mm-hmm. come from. And so what I'm trying to do, we're trying to do with you. On yeah. That. <laughs> well, yeah. So we're trying to put resources in and build community and collaboration people who are leaders and uh, that's really my passion for that but my Mm -hmm. first responsibility besides my family being a grandfather and a father and a husband my first responsibility is to make sure those things are deeply embedded in the fabric Mm -hmm. and the culture of the church i currently lead and so that's what i do right now i do those things and i know those things are coming but everything i create for out there is created first for fellowship church and i want with integrity to be able to come to a place at some point where i could say you know what at this point I think I've taken you as far as I can. I think to stay any longer would get in your way. And that's my exit strategy. Mm, but that, cool. that, that we all feel like that's years ahead. And they say, don't start talking about your leaving. Or, But I, I trust God more in the process. I think people need to know there is a good and healthy, long yeah. runway to succession yeah, that absolutely. serves much better. Yeah, I agree 100%. 
Well, I've really enjoyed it. And I, again, the themes I think are so cool about just especially, I think, where you come from and how important that is, especially as we raise kids, partner with our kids to raise grandkids um, or to help them, whatever we want to call it. Just the things I just kept hearing of like steadiness, influence, learning to learn, catching a vision for being better. Education can look a lot different. A lot you know, different. I think there's things that doesn't necessarily mean college anymore. There's no. a lot of things that just learning. If I was going to boil it down, I, I think again, like if we can teach our kids to learn and to love learning, man, we could have outside of very important things like mm-hmm. teaching our kids about who Jesus is and what it looks like. Love how John Tyson says this. He talks about uh, men and I think it could be said about women, but he says, it's not about raising a boy to be how to be a good man. It's raising a boy to know how to be good at being a man. Oh, that's so good. And so same thing with a And to be good a, as a man and good right, as a woman. Yeah, that's right. so good. Same thing as a female. Yeah. It's not about being a good wife or a good, yeah, a good no, woman. such better language. It's, it's about learning how to be good. And I think that's just that whole word learning. And I think I love your story. Like there's yeah. just so much... Uh, beauty and redemption right. and all those things. And it seems like you're still fighting a little bit with the little Appalachian boy oh, inside no, of no, so, well, you. Let, let me say my last two things. That will be on my whole life. Yeah. It is remarkably unhealthy to think that this lifetime is about arrival. Mm. There is there that we're, I'm in a redemption story that far extends beyond me. I'm just in my moment. This is my moment yeah. in that story. And there's so much left to do. I'll be doing. I'll be dealing with that. And the moment I think I'm not dealing with that, I'm hurting people. The second <laughs> thing I would say is, I just met with some C-suite leaders, and I so I said to them, I said, and I coach, and I said, I am not going to bring you any expertise in leadership, but my experience in learning as a, I can coach you in that, yeah. and you'll figure it out because the answers are often here. But because we're alone and think we're supposed to know them, we mm-hmm. do it up here, mm-hmm. and. Losing the soul of leadership is, I think, a lot of why you see the effects in government, politics, churches, nonprofits. You've lost the soul and you're yeah. just operating out of this. And we all long to be led by the soul. There's one last thing you, uh, you've you alluded to. I don't know if you said it exactly this way, but again, I've heard just because I sat under his teaching for so long, I heard John say this, which I think is a good message for all of us who are getting older. I'm yeah. 50. I'm not super old, but I feel like I'm, I mean, when I was 30, I thought 50 was really old. Well, 50 is <laughs> very different. 50 is it a, is. It's a it is. threshold. It's a sure. crest it of is. something. Yeah. John used to tell the congregation this, when he talked about different ages, he would always say like, those of you who are older think that you're done, oh. but you're, but there's so much to give still. And so I think of you at 61, and these, this guy who's been mentoring you for 45 years and other people, yeah. there's just a message there. I think that's really important Amen. as we talk about this in the podcast and leadership is a big part of what we're talking about. Like we should never stop investing because somebody is hungry to learn oh. and we have so much to give and the older we get, we're just further along yeah. probably to talk about all the mistakes we made, Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm <laughs> to not, help people I'm, learn from them. I'm I not, say arrows in my butt. Yeah, but I, I, know. Just, well, I don't plan on running out of opportunities 
And it's not because I've done this or done that. That's just the way life is. I'll run out of time. Yeah. And I think the final thing is God's way of saying, hey, now that you're at your peak and you have the most to offer, we're done. Yeah. <laughs> That's an important humility to maintain of That's how awesome. this thing actually works. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Rick, I have had a blast. So have I. Thanks for being on Thank here. you for inviting me yeah. and for just Thanks. asking great questions yeah. and being so interested in my story. Thank well, you. You're welcome. I am interested and I think people are interested and if they'll listen there's a lot to be learned from all of our stories so thanks for being part of it yeah thank you appreciate it that was fun well thank you though i enjoyed it and that was fun to listen to rick and hear his story and uh and now he has rewritten the story of his family um and uh, again, the impact that parents make, and the impact that teachers make, and the impact that coaches make, um, and how he listened to the still voice, whatever that is. Uh, for, God, for Rick, it's, it's the voice of God. For others, you may see it a different way, but so cool to hear uh, Rick be um, attentive to what God was telling him needs to happen and then walk through some, some hard things as he transitions things in a church and prepares the church for a time when he won't be there anymore. So thanks for listening to episode two with Rick Dunn.